You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. This clearing wasn't a field. It looked like a road, but it wasn't that either. It was as if a gang had planned to build a road, had chopped away the jungle and flattened the earth, but then abruptly changed their minds. It was 20 yards wide and stretched in either direction, left and right, for as far as Stacy could see, finally curving out of sight. On the far side of it rose a small hill. The hill was rocky, oddly treeless, and covered with some sort of vine-like growth, a vivid green with hand-shaped leaves and tiny flowers. The plants spread across the entire hill, clinging so tightly to the earth that it almost seemed to be squeezing it in its grasp. The flowers looked like poppies, the same size and color, a brilliant stained-glass red. They all stood there, staring, shading their eyes against the sunlight. It was a beautiful sight, a hill shaped like a giant breast, covered in red flowers. Amy took out her camera, started snapping pictures. Scott Smith is the author of the novel A Simple Plan. His screenplay for the film, which was filmed by director Sam Raimi, was nominated for an Oscar. His new novel is The Ruins. One of the things that strikes me is that you tell very intimate scale stories. You focus on the details. Oh, thank you. Tell me, <laughs> tell me why and how you come to that. Because I, as I understand it, these two, your two novels, though they have that same kind of intimate scale and focus on characters, they came about through very different writing processes. It's true. I, I, I guess I feel, as a reader, that I, I feel a real need for, um, to be able to visually picture, what, what the story is happening. I, I, I books that are, are really good books that don't have that. I, I often feel a disconnect with. And so I think in my own writing, I, I have that same sort of need to, to try to visually make as clear as possible, at least for myself, what, what the story is taking place and where it is. One of the things that strikes me is that as you see the world in miniature, you evoke the larger world uh, just of necessity because we're all surrounded by the w- larger world. As you create the characters in the ruins, were you thinking of them as exemplars of the larger world or did they just come to you whole cloth as people that you were going to send out? I, th- I think the latter more. I think that, um, especially with the ruins, I mean, my first book, A Simple Plan, I, I, was, I was, I did a lot of preparation, pre, pre-work before I did the work. I did a very detailed, like a 30 space, 30 sing, 30 page single space outline. Um, I did character bios. I drew a map of the town where the story takes place. Um, with the ruins, since it had been quite a long time since I'd written a novel, I um, I started it really almost as a exercise. I wasn't certain that I was going to complete it and make it into a book, and so I didn't have an outline. Um, things that were very significant that happened in the book, I. I came to me the day that I wrote them from, for probably about, until I was about halfway, and then I sat sat down and wrote an outline. But the same is true with the characters. I just I fell into the voice, and the characters just kind of came about organically. Tell us a little bit, as much as you can, and that's not too much. This interview is going to focus on this book for readers who have not read it yet. Okay. Because it's important, I think, that this book, that we not talk about some of the plot points of this book. So tell us a little bit, as much as you can, the setup for the book. Two young couples, uh, fresh out of college, are vacationing in um, Cancun before they, two, three of them are starting graduate school. One of them is about to start a job. 
It's our last kind of fling. And they meet a uh, German tourist and befriend him whose brother has gone missing. And they agree just as a day trip to go and help him find his brother, basically. And things go badly from there. (laughs) I'm wondering, as a writer, did it, does it feel odd for you to have written a novel that kind of hinges on a non on a non-spoiler that that hinges on the reader being really fresh? That's that's unusual because these days it's really hard to avoid being you know hearing essentially the entire plot of almost any novel. You see a movie, they'll show you right. the trailer, it'll show you everything. Right. So how did you approach this as a writer? Or I, you know, I don't I don't think I really I thought about that much even now i'm not um i'm not entirely certain how i feel about that because i i feel like there are some readers who uh come to the book with with or have come to the book with misapprehensions based on the the title the ruins and they think that it has something to do with uh the maya culture or and i think they're they're ultimately disappointed um and so some part of me thinks, well, you know, it's not a bad thing to know more about it. To I, I don't, I think it's like with, with uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, I know in the first screenings that he ordered that the doors be shut so that no one could come in after the, the movie started. I mean, he was very protective of that idea that, you know, you should know nothing going in. But I, I watched Psycho. I, I knew all about it before, I, and I enjoyed it. And so I think I, I, my hope is that even if you knew you'd still be able to get something out of the book. But when you when you write a book that puts four people in peril, you, you kind of write what morality tales. Mm-hmm. Right. Or cautionary tales. Cautionary yeah, tales. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you structure some of both this and a simple plan in terms of the the moral implications. Do you in a simple plan you plot it out? Quite well in advance, don't right. you? Yes, exactly. Um, I don't. I think I've, always, I've with a, a simple plan. It was. I was. I was intrigued by the idea of. Um, I I think at core how um, it easy it is to be good if if you're living in a way that that corresponds to how the world wants you to live and that um, once those those barriers are taken down to be to continue to be a, a good man when those temptations are there, how, how, in my mind, how easy that temptation could, could draw someone off the, 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 you know, moral path or something. I think I had that for a simple plan. With this, I, um, with the ruins, it was more, I think, just the, the, the idea of uh, wander, rather than wandering off the moral path, it was wandering off the beaten path and just how I, intrigued by the idea of just kind of falling into a very perilous world, I think. Forging into the unknown. One thing that strikes me is that this is a is a piece uh, I'm of horror genre fiction to to some extent, right? A- and it's also survival tale. So one of the things that's very important is the choices that people make in right. a horror novel, right? Did Did you look at the horror genre at all to to see how other writers had? characters and situations where they had to make a choice. Do we go here? Do we go there? Do we do this? Do we do that? I, I didn't that much. I, it was the original idea to write the story. Did I, I was watching a, a somewhat horror movie uh, and I, I felt scared at a scene and, and I wanted to try to do that. But my 
awareness of the horror genre, both in terms of books and movies. I'm, I'm not a big horror person. I grew up reading uh, Stephen King, Ray Bradbury, and all that, so I have that down deep, but as an adult, I haven't read that much in the, in the genre. So the choices were more... I, th- I, I, was, I was split as I wrote it. There, there are times where it was, it was very clear I'm trying to write this genre horror book, but then as I, I, as I was writing, I was getting to the this, this story. I think that I... Yeah, I started to just take the that horror element as as almost a real world thing, and was writing in my mind a very realistic story at, at, when I was in that space. It, it really shows because you focus so well on the characters and create these characters with such detail and such a natural interaction. Have you ever been on this kind of trip that you described? Two <laughs> couples going somewhere? I um, not to uh, Mexico, but I, I have. Taking a trip with another couple, yeah, yeah. So I'm familiar with the, the, uh, uh, you know, inner dynamics that maybe aren't always as pleasant as you might want them to be. Tell yeah. us a little bit about how you. Well, first off, what movie were you watching? Oh, it's actually it's. it's um, I'm always a little embarrassed because it's not a. People who are in the horror world would just scoff at it. It's not that scary a movie. It was Signs, the Mel Gibson movie, um, which is ultimately very silly. The, end, the way that it ends is very silly. But there's just a moment where um, a character turns and sees something. You just see a flash of a night. I jumped, and it was that sort of uh, visceral emotion that I wanted to try to create. The visceral emotion. You, you certainly create uh, visceral emotions in, in this novel. And one of the ways you do that is to, as I say, you've done a lot of detail work. So tell us a little a bit about how you created some of the details of, you know, the people with the, you have somebody who doesn't speak uh, English, somebody who doesn't speak uh, Spanish, and you've got a bunch of English people. So right. that's a really interesting combination, and it creates a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. I think originally... Um as I said, I wasn't working that outline. I think originally I wanted to play more with the idea of um, the, the group dynamics and the, and the, the four Americans um, initially being, I guess in a way, I hadn't really thought about it, but it's similar to Simple Plan in the sense that when everything is going well out on the beach and it's really easy to be friendly with these people who you know nothing about, you've just met. And then as the tension built, I was going to play more with the idea of the in-group and the out-group and the ways that the four main characters would start to other the the non-American characters. Um, I ultimately didn't pursue that as much. There, there are a few, there's a little bit of it, but um, and I think the language barrier was intended to add to that sort of suspense of, you know, can, can we trust? Who can we trust? The trust issue is very interesting in here because it Create, it does create a lot of tension. And you're, one of the things that you do is to keep the reader on edge wondering just what is, is going to go wrong right. <laughs> <laughs> with, this, with this situation. It, and because of that, it's a, it's a survival story. These mm-hmm. people are in the woods and they probably should not be. Right. Did right. you look at some other survival stories? Or I, in some ways, that was more of a... Or a driver and certainly a reading interest for me than than the horror. The uh, I've always, even as a kid I was uh, really interested in the the polar explorers and their accounts and things like the Donner Party. Um, 
and I think I've just always, both as a kid and as an adult, just been intrigued by people in that sort of physical extremity. The prose here really drives the story. It's very close. The whole book is written in one seamless long story. When you sit down to read it, you better be prepared to have a good long weekend to finish okay. it or a day or so. Thank you. Uh, did you do a lot of rewriting of the prose? Did this get rehashed or did this just come out naturally? Uh, it did. Different parts of the book. Um, some, some. As a writer, I like to, I tend to rewrite as I go along. Um, but there, there were certain sections of the book where I went through, and um, for the most part, drew things out more. I, um, if something wasn't working, it, I, I discovered that just tension-wise, it was usually I was, I was rushing. It, I was trying to go too fast, and if I took more time um, and drew out the the scene, it, it felt ended up feeling more gripping. That's a really interesting effect, because, and, and you're right, that does work that way. Uh, to draw out the scene and put in more detail, mm -hmm. it keeps the, the readers grounded more. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Tell us a little bit about creating a sense of what I would call uh, the visceral responses, because there are people, are one of the things that, that you do well is to create scenes of just things happen. I mean, somebody goes on a hike, you know, you fall down, and, and that's not a good thing. Right. <laughs> and, and so tell us a little bit about putting in some the little bits of um, mishaps, how the mishaps and small incidents lead to a foreshadowing. I think to some degree that was um, a result of the, the way that I was writing without the outline where I would somehow that helped me. I would, I would write something, a character falls down or something, and then it would just open up uh, pathways to, to I, I guess, mostly to doom. Um, but I think that, I don't know, if I had outlined it I, it, I think it would have had a different, ultimately a different feel to the book. The, the book does feel very, very organic. And one of the things that's nice about it that's really kind of jarring is we've all gone on holiday someplace. And while it's fun to be someplace that you're not accustomed to being, it's also quite unsettling. And one of the things you do from the get-go is to evoke how unsettling it is to be in a place that you don't belong, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. T yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you do that and, and how how did you discover that feeling of... I think a lot of it was the um, the, the way that the book is told is that the, it shifts through the four main characters' points of view. And as as I started experimenting with that, two, I mean, there's just the certain characters' anxieties um, came to the forefront. And I think that just as you shift each time into their, through their eyes and seeing the world kind of veiled with their anxieties, I think that that aspect started to, to accrue as the story went on. And your characters, not the nicest bunch of people <laughs> you'll ever meet in a novel. Um, I get a, I get a lot of that. I, I I don't know how I feel about that. I, I don't I because the very beginning, my editor said, "Well, you know, maybe you should make some of these characters more likable." And I thought, "Well, what's I, they seem likable to me." <laughs> um, I mean, they make they make selfish choices. They they um, some of them complain. They they um, they all have their different 
you know, ways that are probably negative of dealing with things. But I, I, I for myself, I, I hoped that they were would come across as um, three dimensional people who had their their weaknesses, as I said, which when you're on the beach in, in Cancun would just be, well, um, you know, Amy tends to complain. If she gets a sunburn, she's going to complain about the sunburn. But then when you get into the more extreme situation, that that trait can become, you know, a terrible handicap. And I think I tried to do that for each of the, the characters. Um, well, one thing that I think does really work is by making your characters less than perfect. Nobody is is un is unchecked in terms of, of their their niceness. Right. <laughs> uh you do make them more, much more accessible. These seem like people we know. These seem like people you might meet at a party whom you might find as you say, these are fun people to hang out with at a party, but when the party's over, the party is right. definitely okay. over. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> uh as a writer, you create a lot of atmosphere. And there's a lot of like little scenes, little descriptions. Uh, in in one scene, there's like a mangy dog or something. So all right. Right. <laughs> tell the us, ticks, a, yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit about taking uh, all those details to create to start to unsettle the reader. Again, I think some of that was just in, uh, instinctive as I as I as I wrote. I I, um, I mean the dog, which a lot of people have responded to. Uh, I'd, I'd seen a dog with a, you know, I bent to pet a dog that I noticed as I was petting was covered in, in ticks. And I just remembered that um, creepy feeling, but also you've you're you've kind of bonded with this dog, and he no one's paid any attention to this dog in his whole life, so he's he's in love with you, and yet you're you're have this gut reaction of you know I just want to get away from this dog, and so I just that just fell into the story. Yeah. As you read this book, one senses what Freud called like a, the uncanny. There's just this sense of that something isn't right with our understanding mm-hmm. of reality, and we're about to be educated in a manner that will probably be less than enjoyable, <laughs> at least for the people who are in, right, who are going right. to encounter this. How did you create this at the beginning? Did you understand, as, as you started this novel, did you understand how it was going to end? I, I knew the ultimate ending. I knew the last line, actually, um, even before I'd written the first line. Um, but I didn't know all the different, you know, stages to get there. And I knew, as I said, I, I you know, the, the very, very first impulse was to write something that was unsettling and was um, would have that effect on a reader, where um, the effect that the tick-laden dog had on me, basically. <laughs> As we journey with these people, we experience, you know, their identities, and their identities change as the situation grows more dire and less mm-hmm. less less salubrious than mm-hmm. a party on the beach in Cancun. Right, right. And so, it, you explore these themes of identity and, and how how we our identity shifts as you created the characters. Did you know have a start and end point for each character, or did I, you? I didn't. You know, I, I, um, I think that a similar thing happens with a simple plan, where there, there there is this upstanding couple in this small town, and we see them descend into this very evil way of being. Um, and that, as I said, was much more 
plot it out moment by moment with with the ruins i um it, as the events accrued and and the the uh personalities that i sort of organically developed for them i it just naturally happened that that well oh the you know jeff is going to do this or stacy's going to do that and it all just kind of wove together as a example of the survival story genre one of the things we see in survival story genre is the immediate effects of kind of simple problems, you know, mm-hmm. hunger, a simple injury. How much research did you do into the effects of these things <laughs> before you described them so vividly? And- <laughs> I, you know, probably um, I was. I have a neighbor who's a doctor, and, I, and he read the book, and I was very nervous because I thought he was. There's some. Uh, do-it-yourself surgery at one point in the book and um, I was very anxious about him reading it because I I, I didn't I'd had as I said just a a lifelong interest in reading these stories and so I think I picked up uh, almost by osmosis uh, details through that but I didn't specifically uh, research any of the events and most of the events um, again surprised me as as I wrote them and so I just I, I winged it basically and hoped that it's not terribly obvious. When people get in this small kind of group, there's a, a, a natural order that, that forms. And, and you do a great job of showing how these everything rises to its own level or sinks to <laughs> yeah, its right. own, More likely. Uh, <laughs> own level, yes. And, and again, I'm wondering, as a... As you created these characters, did you have an idea as to what level they'd rise or sink to? Did you give them, or did they just reveal to you as you put them through the story? I, th- I think the latter. I think I, um, a, I mean, a couple of the characters even uh, surprised me to to a degree in terms of I wouldn't have anticipated it again if I had outlined it. Um, it would have been a totally different book. Um, I grew. I, I would look forward to days with certain characters and and dread. And, and there's one character I really like to write, and there's one character who I really didn't like to write. Um, and oddly, when I you know at the end when the book was finally done, I, I did a kind of word count to see. And the character I really like to write has the smallest amount of words, and the character who I disliked has the biggest amount of words. So, oh, that's very interesting. Another aspect of this novel that is particularly well realized is timing. There's a lot of timing issues, the way things happen, the way things don't happen. And again, I'm guessing that just flowed from the pen. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, it's a very, the story is very um, compact uh, time-wise and and uh, location-wise and character-wise. So I think to some degree there is a uh, to have those boundaries around it, I think, helped in terms of the flow of the story and the structure of the story. Well, we've been speaking with Scott Smith. He's the author of The Ruins. If you have not read the book, then do so immediately, but plan a long weekend on while you do it. If you have read the book, we're now going to discuss aspects of the book that you already know about, and we will not ruin the book for those who have read it. All right, Scott, let's get down to the good stuff. Okay. Uh, I'm something of a monster hound. Okay. <laughs> I, I love a good monster, and you've created one of the most fascinating monsters I've read this year. 
Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So tell me, how did this monster, how did you come about creating this monster? I, you know, when I, when I saw that horror movie and and decided that I wanted to try to uh, write something in that genre, I went back to a file of old ideas that I had and I came across a story short, what I thought was going to be a short story about uh, people at an archaeological dig um, that it had nothing to do with, with, the vine, which is the the, the monster in, in the ruins, um, but I just I thought, well, what could they dig up, basically? And and I think I had an idea that a naive idea that that what would work as, as in the horror genre and something that's that's scary is often something that's um, not alive in the in a in a human type way, but takes on human characteristics and uh, whether it's Christine, like with Stephen King's, um, the, with the car, and I, I just the plant seemed I thought it'd be interesting to make a plant that that you know, as the story carried along that it took on aspects of, of the human. So. What's really interesting is when described from a distance, uh, the, those of us sitting here in a studio, a plant is a monster. Right. It, it's preposterous. <laughs> not, somewhere between preposterous and not necessarily threatening. Right. But you create something that's very, very threatening. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So yeah. tell us. It was very anxiety-provoking um, to sit in, you know, my sort of secret space writing it while, you know, friends would say, oh, what are you working on? And, and I couldn't say, you know, it's a book about, you know, a talking plant. <laughs> so, And all the time was it was in my head. Because I could internally take that step to the side, which I think with a lot of horror, where you, you if you do to shift a little bit, it does become um, a joke or ludicrous. And so, I was, as I wrote, I was definitely, you know, trying to keep that door shut. So I appreciate you saying that. Well, you 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 completely succeeded, and one of the ways you do so is through the constant in well done use of body horror okay <laughs> because our one of the things that's scary to us is when our own bodies betray us right whether right. it's the brain to make you decide to go in that basement right right or or it's the hand that was crushed beneath the rock and now looks like a piece of hamburger right right so, so tell, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you created some of the scenes of body horror in this novel they're Fairly distressing. No, they're they're utterly, <laughs> direly distressing. I mean, a lot again. A lot of that was just 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 writing it. I mean, I think that um, I mean, in terms of the the some of the plot things that that developed that I hadn't anticipated that ended up having huge ramifications for the book. When Eric jumps and he cuts his knee, um, I, you know, the day I sat down to, to write, I, I didn't know that he's going to jump. I didn't know he's going to cut his knee. And when he cut his knee, I didn't know. Oh, the 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 vine's going to get inside him, uh, which became you know such a dominant uh, driving part of the plot was Eric's um, gradual sort of dissolution in the face of that. So I, you know, I, I'm a terrible interview subject because my answers always seem to be, well, I, I don't know, it just it just happened. <laughs> no, no, I think this is indicative of the of the quality of the writing because what what you say is is interesting because 
you talk about your characters surprising you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because they, they come to life for the reader, too. They oh, came to life for you, so they come to life for the reader as I well. I appreciate that. Did you see this movie? This, this movie. This book is a movie as you wrote it? Did you unroll as a film in your mind? or uh, You know, I, I I was actually surprised that it it's ended up being um, optioned because I, I – for the first two thirds, when I when I I'd written about two thirds of the book and I actually stopped because I've been doing screenwriting, and I did a script. Someone had offered me a chance to uh, remake El Cid, which I thought would be a lot of fun. I really wanted to do it, and it was mm-hmm. time sensitive, so I put the book aside. And at that point, my agent uh, got an advance from my publisher, and they also uh, it was optioned. Um, and I writing the first two thirds, I didn't because it feels so internal to me. Um, and then it feel it's, it's very dark. Um, and it's, there's that quality of it being kind of a weird story. I I just, I wasn't certain that there would be film interest. Um, and, uh, I I felt, I always felt Simple Plan was much more an obvious, uh, movie transfer. Um, now you've gone back and forth. You wrote, one of the questions that I think a lot of us have are, 13 years? Come on. <laughs> What's up? Um, I, I spent about five years working on a novel that um, just got longer and longer and longer. Um, and when it crossed the thousand-page mark and I was maybe a quarter of the way done, and it wasn't just that. It was also I, I had the increasing sense that I didn't know where I was. I, I was, again, writing without an outline, and I was having a lot of fun. It was it was probably the most enjoyment I've gotten just day in, day out writing. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know, I just knew that it was just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and there was no real turning point toward home. Um, and at that point the, the movie version of A Simple Plan came out and I started to get offers to do screenplays and I, I just ran away from that book, uh, for another five or six years and then finally came back and, that covers the time. <laughs> well, how does it compare to you for a writer to go back and forth between the two formats? They're very, very different. Yeah, uh, it was it was very hard to come back and do the, the ruins. Um, I I don't I don't know whether that was because I'd been spending the time doing screenwriting or because I just hadn't been writing prose. Um, but I was very uh, anxious the whole time and felt like I was didn't know what I was doing and. Um, throughout for the, for the whole book. Um, and I, there, there, I think initially there was a little bit of unlearning reflexes or habits that I developed with the screenwriting, uh, one of which is, is the slowing things down. I think that with screenwriting there is that, that if it's not working, you should speed it up and, and discovering that, at least for this book, it felt like the opposite. So did you ever end up uh, finishing El Cid? I did. It's It's along with the other half dozen scripts that I've done since A Simple Plan. It's in various stages of not being made. So, But I have my hopes. It was fun to do. Was... This book was optioned by Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. Ben Stiller, horror, not an obvious <laughs> connection to me. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. Um, I became friendly with Ben because he was the second of five directors who was attached to uh, direct A Simple Plan. And really, um, I, I felt taught me how to write a screenplay. Um, before that, Mike Nichols had been attached, and I created this just 
embarrassingly bad script. I think I scared him off the project, basically. And Ben came in, and I, I learned through going back and forth with him. And since then, a lot of the scripts that I've done have been through his production company. Um, and he, his, his interests are incredibly um, diverse and, and, and very smart. Um, and, you know, something like this, I did a script for him based on the, um, uh, a nonfiction book about the Booth brothers, Edwin Booth and John Wilkes Booth. Um, is it John Wilkes who obviously uh, assassinated Lincoln? Edwin Booth was a Shakespearean actor, and it's just the interesting um, subject matters that came to me through him. So I think he he has a, a wider range of interests than maybe you'd think from something about Mary. So, or uh, well, I would definitely, or, yeah, <laughs> I would definitely suggest that flirting with disaster is a full on horror movie. That's for, true. For many of us, <laughs> that's more uncomfortable with uh, family matters. Yeah. Back to the ruins. One of the things that you did that is to increase the detail with which this monster is defined. Mm-hmm. So tell us, once you conceived of this monster, did you know it's all its powers, so to speak, or did they? They no. Again, they they came about. I knew that I, I knew that I wanted um, just as a pure plot device, I wanted more and more to be revealed to my characters to, to get more and more scary and serious as I went along. But I didn't know specifically what capacities I would ultimately um, have the vine capable of. And again, they, they just some of it just happened, you know. Um, One of the things that makes us an interesting monster is that there are kind of, there are two types of monsters that, that I've that you'll find in the literature. There's one that's essentially like Jaws, which is just something, or Alien, just something that consumes, Mm -hmm. and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then there are the smart ones, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) the ones that that like to play with their food, so to speak. (laughs) This is certainly the latter. The latter, yes. Tell me a little bit about how you decided to make this thing play with its food. I think a lot of that came out of just my interest in the in the group dynamics and and the the pressure mounting among the group, um, and so wanting the 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 vine to um, put pressure on the group and to put pressure on specific characters, um, I think was a driving force, and so that that created a lot of the the playing with the food uh, that you mentioned. Yeah. One thing that that that. Uh as the uh, creature reveals its its capabilities mm-hmm. and its intentions to to the group, they too reveal back their weaknesses mm-hmm. to it and to us. So, tell us how you create that kind of tension going back and forth between the strengths and the strengths that evoke the weaknesses. Again, you know, I'm going to fail you on that. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I should have a, a you know, just a, a card I hold up. It's like it just was instinctive. Um, I, it did. It, it So much of it developed as, a, as a, you know, something would happen with, with the vine and then it would have an impact with the, one of the characters and it would just it kind of ping pong back and forth through the writing as opposed to any sort of conscious choice. 
which I know just makes for a very boring interview. <laughs> oh, this is good. We, okay. we like to hear about the organic writing okay. process. Not everybody po- pops up an outline and uh, <laughs> writes a thesis. Okay. When you go back and look at your work, do you find things in it that you didn't realize you put there? Uh, as in mistakes? or <laughs> No, no, no. as in themes. I, because oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and especially between... I thought that I was doing something just dramatically different than um, a simple plan, which I think on a surface level it is. But people keep pointing out thematic similarities um, that um, I hadn't anticipated and make me feel very, you know, redundant in some way. You know? well, well, what did you think that you were doing different from a simple plan? In what way did you envision this as being different? I, I guess it, it's a different genre. It, um, the simple plan was, was first person... Uh, a, a unrealistic situation in, in the sense that things were pushed to such an extreme, but basically based in the real, a familiar world. Um, and this was the, something about the third person and the, the floating, the shifting point of view. Um, it's more, um, it's less scenic, I think, with a simple plan. That, that, I mean, I think that was what made it feel much more uh, easily adaptable to film. It's 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 very much just scene by scene by scene where this is this is more narrated there's more um it's more interior uh uh much more time just spent with characters thoughts um i think that was in my mind this huge difference did you set about to write something very different i think so i think i think i've always been um just uh repelled from the idea of of doing something that i've done before i think it's, it's similar with the the handful of screenplays that I've done. I, I've chosen projects that are all very different from each other. Well, well tell us about some of your screenplays. The, the, the unmade screenplays. The unmade uh, screenplays, yes. I um, I did an adaptation of uh, Mark Halperin's Winter's Tale. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was a lot what of What a beautiful book. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> um, so I, I think I'm, I'm one in a long line of people who have attempted adaptations of it, though. But uh, it was it was great to do. It was really a lot of fun. Did you work with Mark Halpern? Uh, I didn't. No, I, I went off and, and violated his book all on my own without any help. <laughs> um, and who is it slated to be the director for that? You know, at this point, it's a producer has it. And oh. it's, it's, but it actually came to me through Ben. Uh, oh, really? Still, yeah, at one point, he was going to direct it. Um, and I, I think he's still involved producer-wise, but I don't know where the script is at this point. It's shifted studios and... That's a very different book from A Simple Plan. I yes. mean, it, it's it's got a very light kind of fantastic feel. It's not unlike The Ruins in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you pick that, or why were you picked for that? Um, I think well, it's a, just a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's It felt like a, a real challenge to try to put it into screenplay form because it is such a sweeping, huge um, book. I think... I, I was drawn to the tone. I mean, there is that, that uh, a whimsical and a, a sweetness to it, but it's also, it's pretty, um, I think, a, a melancholy book on some level, which I think I'm always drawn to. Um, so there's that, and there was the El Cid. There was a adaptation of a Richard Stark novel called Backflash about a, um, uh, the heist, a heist on a casino boat on the Hudson, uh, which is a lot of fun. There was the nonfiction book about the Booth brothers. Um, There's a comedy actually for uh, Ben, an original script um, called The Mirror about 
was actually Ben playing himself and his parents who are actors playing themselves and his wife playing herself and his Ben's reflection climbs out of the mirror and tries to take over his life basically it's the conflict between Ben and his reflection to see who's going to claim his life which well, was fun to do also there's a, a another classic monster the doppelganger yes, exactly <laughs> yeah yeah which is yeah. very frightening now it that was an original screenplay that was an original screenplay and um it you know, for a variety of reasons is is not happening at the moment but well what made you choose that as a screenplay as opposed to a novel it was really i was i was talking we this was after a simple plan um and Ben and I were, you know, talking about possible ideas, and I'd had I'd written actually a short, or I'd attempted a short story that, not obviously with starring Ben Stiller, but about a re- someone's reflection who comes out of the mirror, um, that had kind of grown into a novella, but it's just it was an unwieldy length, and I just put it aside, and I thought, well, maybe I could take that and add in different elements and create a script. Now, do you still have that novella hanging around somewhere? I do. I have I have a lot of half, two thirds finished things that uh, I, I can't bring to fruition in some way, including my thousand pages. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have a lot of boxes in my closet. Yeah. Do you do you write longhand or in uh, on a computer? On a computer, yeah. What kind of, um, what makes you decide to like pursue a subject? Why, why did you decide to write about these people touring the ruins? Why, why, what attracts you to a subject? I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a feeling. I think there's a there there's a feeling I get when I read books that I like that that um, and I think it is related on some level to the to that the melancholy that I talked about with Winter's Tale. There's um, and maybe that's not quite the right word, but there's a, it's just I know it. There's a there's a feeling I get when I read certain things, and that I I like to try to feel as I'm I'm writing too. And I think all those projects somehow tapped into that. This book does have a certain melancholy to it. It, it, it be, because it does. It is really that last fling before you enter life. Right, right. Gone horrifically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I where are you working on a new novel now? I am finishing. I hope I'm finishing the the script for the ruins. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a draft. I'm incorporating the studio's notes, um, and I hope to start another novel afterwards. So it won't be quite as long between books as last time. <laughs> now you have some short stories hanging around, I guess, right? I do, I do, yes. And, yeah. and where where might we, might we find them? Uh, only, you know, I, I, I've only managed to publish a short story every six or seven years or something. Um, so you'd have to, you know, go to the library and dig very deeply. <laughs> We've been talking with Scott Smith. His new novel is The Ruins. Thank you for speaking with us, Scott. Oh, please, thank you. You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony.